Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the state that we are in, not just as a nation, not just as a church, not just as a disciple, but as people, as humankind. And sometimes I know that at churches you may go and you may feel like that you hear an us versus them kind of message to where Christians may start sounding like, oh, we're better than you, we're completely different from you, and because you're not like us, you're not for us, you can't be with us. And, and I, I pray that's not what you're going to hear today. I pray that's not what you hear whenever you come to the worship gathering at Eastgate. Not because we just are going to say, yeah, we just want to be just like the world, but because we know that aside from Jesus, aside from who He is, we would have no difference in our life. That we're not better than anybody else because, oh, we have a nice building or, or we have nice jobs or anything like that. No, no. the fact that, that makes us different from anything is actually not even about us. It's the fact of who Jesus is, what Jesus has said, what Jesus has done, and how He's displayed it in our life. But I'm afraid that as we look around the world, we may see many people that when they talk about God... When they talk about what it means to follow Him, they either don't know who Jesus really is, or maybe their version of Jesus looks awful lot like plastic. Something that they've put in a corner, maybe bring out on special holidays. And, and the reality of who He is, the reality of, of the difference He makes in our life, the reality of the remedy that He comes to, to cure the brokenhearted, to bind up the wounds of those that need healing, to change a life, to make us a new creation, as the Bible says, that reality just may not be the one that we're currently experiencing. And then we may feel like we get guilty at that point, and we look at people that we think are super Christians, People that are like super people of the faith. People that in the Bible and people that are around us that, that they just seem like the, the radical, the different, the, the extraordinary. And we just think, what is it that they have that I don't have? And, and we may get jealous. We may get depressed. We may just bottle up things inside. And, and so we, we start looking at people and then we also begin putting a magnifying glass and start looking for a formula. And this is people that are inside the church at times. This is people that are outside the church. And we'll begin looking at people that we want to emulate, people that we want to, to mimic. And, and, and because we see something successful, we'll put a little magnifying glass over their life and we'll start looking for a formula. All right, if I get X, Y, and Z, then, then it, I, my formula to, to how to live this life will be better. I will finally feel like I have wisdom. I'll finally feel like I can achieve what I've been meaning to achieve. I, I won't feel like I'm in this whirlpool that keeps sucking me in and sucking me in. But unfortunately, here's the thing. That if your formula is looking for this principle plus this principle plus this principle, all act, put it together and glued together by this activity, you're going to be missing out because that is not the remedy. I will give you a formula if you want it. It's this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Because He's the one that makes the difference. Jesus plus nothing else is really the one that makes the difference in everything. But all of us, I think, at times are looking for that, that step ahead, that, that little jump that will give us the nudge. It will make us a little higher up on the ladder, better than others around us. And we're looking for what will make us look wise. And maybe people want to be like us or be around us or imitate us. 
And this can happen for the lost and the found. More prevalent probably for the lost, but sometimes even in the found. Would you join me as we take some time to go into the Scripture? Not to try to amplify what I'm saying, but to make the case of what the Bible has already said. And so we're going to be in the book of Romans again. Still in the same place we've been over these last few weeks. And I invite you to stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His Word. Because I want to see that the Bible makes this case, not that I'm making it, but it was made long ago about the state of our world, the state of humanity. And it says this in Romans chapter 16, verses 1, chapter 1, verses 16 through 25. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God has made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image of the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, help us today to understand who You are, to understand the, the case that You've made in Your Scriptures that, that yes, was so true then, but it's still true today. And In the middle of that truth, God, complement it with Your grace, which shows us that there is a remedy for our brokenness. There is healing for our pain. There is life from our death. And God, for the person in this room that may not have ever trusted in You, that doesn't know You as their real, genuine Lord and Savior, God, I pray that You would make Yourself known to them. And for Your church today, these disciples that have gathered together collectively, God, equip us, encourage us, challenge us, and help us to know You more. Know you better than when we first walked in. But God, don't just enlighten our minds. Challenge and spur on our hearts. Mine included, God. That we won't leave this place the same as when we walked in. That we won't go about business as usual as we did the day before. But because we've met with you, experienced your word, your spirit, and your presence as you promised in this place, God, life would be different. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this book, the book of Romans, the letter, is written by the Apostle Paul. We've been talking about it for the last several weeks and, and what it means. Paul was writing to the church in Rome. He was going to be going there. He was going there for actually a trial uh, to, to appear before Caesar. Um. His first presentation in front of Caesar, the first one he was actually uh, let go for a few years, and then he was actually arrested later on and, and faced beheading. But that's not this point. 
He knows he's on the way to the church at Rome. And he wants to uh, impart to them some, some words of wisdom, to impart some things that he's learned over these last few years as a missionary, as a church planner, as an apostle, as a pastor, as a teacher, uh, as someone that's been in not only uh, challenging the churches, but also challenged himself in his faith as he's grown and grown. And, and God inspires him as he's writing this. We believe the Holy Spirit inspired the men that wrote the Bible. That, that God didn't just say, alright, dictate these words for me, but God used their hands, their pen, to, to put His words in place and preserve them for us. And so this was written around 57 A.D., and so you may think, alright, that's almost 2,000 years ago, so what relevance does it have? But if we read through the case, we start seeing, wow, that's my world, that's, that's where I live, that's my workplace, that's my neighborhood, that's my city, that's my family maybe. Um, we, we can see this place. And we've talked about the case that's made for those that are broken, those that are lost, those that are dead and have not found the remedy of Christ and that God is the great remedy that we need. In fact, He's the, the only remedy we need. But the case is made by the Apostle Paul, we've talked about these in the few, last few weeks, that those without Christ, those that don't know Christ, are wrath-receiving. They are truth-suppressing. They are evidence-rejecting. They are foolish excuse-giving. They are foolish living. And they are false-worshipping. And that's a really poor case. But sometimes that old nature, even, even for those that are lost, whenever they are saved, whenever they come to know Jesus, maybe they came at an early age, uh, the growth has not been as, as substantial as it needed to be. Maybe through decisions, through distractions, whatever may have happened in your life, whether they be directly your responsibility or not. Maybe there's been a point where that old nature, that old character that, that God says, I've, I've, I've cut that away from you. We kind of pick up the baggage and carry it into our life. Where we feel guilty of being wrath receivers and feel guilty that God's out to punish us. But we've, we talked about the other day how the, the incredible work of the cross transforms us being wrath receivers to those that are wrath removed. And that in, that in itself is life-changing. And, and when we get that, man, it spurs on so much. And then as the Gospel takes a hold of our life, we move from being truth-suppressing, trying to hold it down as if it, it's a, something that keeps us in bondage, to being truth-unleashed in our life, till we find the true freedom where Jesus said, if you continue in My Word, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That there's actually liberation as we unleash the truth of God in our life. And how we move because of the work of Jesus, because of the remedy. We move from being evidence rejectors to being evidence embracers that we can start looking around and see even, not only in the Scriptures, but around us, how God has made Himself known, as the Scripture says. As some of the defense of the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His divine nature, have been clearly seen through what has been made. And so we want to learn those things. We want to gather those things. Not only so we can have little tidbits of information, but so that we can be better at proclaiming this great remedy. Like those ads that try to sell prescriptions on, on television. We want to be about that, except we, the, the side effects are good ones. Not the ones that you say, I'd rather have the sickness. You know? This will make, take away all elbow pain, but you're going to have all these kind of cramps, all this kind of stomach problems. You know, I'm like, I'll just, I'll just get a sore elbow. You know, that's, I'll take that. But the evidence, when we embrace it, helps us to be better proclaimers. And last week we talked about how we need a declaration that, that goes back to that original declaration of Paul that says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. Instead of saying, 
I want to have excuses. I want to live in my bubble. I want to be comfortable. Or I, I don't know if it's safe. We, we say, no, I'm not ashamed. And then I believe in the power of God because it saved me and it transformed me. And, and I, in turn, want to carry it to others. But now we get to these last two aspects where we start looking at foolish living. And maybe that's one of the reasons you found yourself in church today. You're looking for advice, tidbits on, on how to have a better life. How, you know, a better life by Friday or something like that. I don't know. Um, and I think a lot of us find ourselves there. We say, all right, if I just go to church and maybe get my family there, there will be a little wisdom, wisdom that's passed on and, and everything will be better. Everything will get gooder. I know that's bad English. I said it on purpose just to make sure you're awake. Because we see the foolish nature. We see the foolish living in our lives and the lives around us. And we see what Paul was talking about when he says their foolish heart was dark and professing to be wise, they became fools. Let me tell you something about foolish living. Foolish living, we kind of think of that being goofballs. That's how we've translated the word as fool. The word foolish living that Paul is using is not... um, It's not a polite way of saying someone's kind of goofy. It's saying someone that has the evidence of, of godlessness in their life. The Bible says throughout the Old Testament about the fool. And that, that, that's a name that you don't use lightly. Even Jesus said, don't call someone a fool. That's not a word to be used lightly. Because a fool is someone that, that, according to the book of Proverbs, does not know God. According to the book of Psalms, that says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They may not have said it with their lips, but they've said it in their heart. That there is no God. And so what he's saying is the foolish heart, the heart that says, maybe it says with their lips there's a God, but their heart is not. It became darkened. Did you see that? That foolishness, a godless heart. It doesn't, it's not just dark, it becomes darker. That the actions don't just kind of subside and and level out. It, it continues going down. We see this effect that sin spirals. And the Bible goes on to say that they became futile in their speculations. Futile meaning fruitless. Meaningless. They became futile in their speculation. Not in fact or certainty. They were living out the way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. It's the end of destruction. It's the end of pain and brokenness. Man, there are far too many paths that lead to destruction. I didn't chart them. I didn't make them. I didn't build them. I probably had my part. But the way to destruction is an eight-lane mega interstate. The narrow way is a little bitty crook in the woods. The way that Jesus says we are to find. And here's here's the heart-wrenching part of it. When we don't choose the path of godly wisdom, and the Bible says godly wisdom is this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear of the Holy One. That is where wisdom begins. But when we choose not the path of godly wisdom, we're all choosing the way of the fool. And that's sad because I know I've been there. I've played the fool. Have you? You ever felt like that? I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not trying to put, you know, get the hands up being like, oh, let's have a you know, repentance fest in here. I mean, if you feel like you need to repent, you need to repent. But I've been there. 
I've been the one that said, you know what? Instead of building the castle, the house on the rock, which founded on the, on the wisdom and the attributes of God, I've been the one that says, yeah, I'm going to use my little sand over here, and I'm going to keep trying to build my sand castle, fighting the waves and the tides and the wind and everything else, and, and, and still just looking like an idiot playing in the sand. Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, following that parable, He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I, do, what I tell you to do? When I think about my life, I want to end up somewhere. I know I'm going to end up somewhere, but I want to end up somewhere on purpose. I want to end up somewhere that pleases God. I want to end up somewhere that makes an impact on the world. I want to end up somewhere that, that does something that only God can do through my life. So where does wisdom start? We start by... Reading a chapter of Proverbs a day, it's, I mean, it's a good task, it's a good practice. I've done it myself in my life, you know, a chapter of Proverbs a day. I know a lot of Christian businessmen, they use that practice to help them maintain a discipline of, of Christian principles. But here's what I understand about them. They first had a relationship with Jesus before they started reading the book of Proverbs a chapter a day. So it doesn't start by just picking up a devotional book. It starts with Jesus. In fact, I could probably give you all kinds of little tidbits and practices on, on how to be wise and look wise and dress wise and walk wise and all those kind of things. But I'm going to tell you this. They would be fruitless apart from a relationship with Jesus. They would be empty and they would still be full of death and destruction. It would still be a part of the eight-line eight line lane highway. Because wisdom... Wisdom that is true comes from genuine worship. I think sometimes people get it backwards. I think sometimes you may have come into church thinking it backwards. That if I find out the wisdom and the steps and they work out for me well enough, that I might choose to follow Jesus. But that is not the way of the Scriptures. The way of the Scriptures is come and kneel and find rest and repentance at the feet of Jesus. Find true worship and then you will find wisdom. Because to get it backward is trying to, is trying to live out a fool's errand. And so I'm, I'm not going to try to say this whole moving from foolish li- living to wise living automatically. It, we need to make sure we're topsy-turvy here because Paul takes his argument and he flips it over. That if a lost world, when at the end of the, of the case is made, that there are people that serve the creation rather than the Creator, that the people that serve the incorruptible, I mean the corruptible rather than the incorruptible, then if that's the end case that's made, then that's where we need to find ourselves when we talk about this foolish living versus wise living. If you want answers, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It all starts by coming to His feet and knowing that He cares for you. Come and kneel before the Lord our Maker for He is our shepherd and we are the sheep of His pasture. He is giving you an invitation. He says in Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. For though your sins were as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they were red like crimson, they shall be like wool. He says, I am inviting you. Because this is where it starts. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Nothing plus nothing still equals nothing. And whenever Paul talks about this exchange of false worshiping, it leads to foolish living. It leads to evidence rejecting. It leads to truth suppressing 
And ultimately, it leads to wrath receiving. So by the end of the argument, Paul's saying that this is the case. If this is the case that's made for what a lost world looks like, the case that what someone that's got death and, and brokenness, he goes on and makes the case throughout the book of the rest of the book of Romans, which is beautiful. I love the book of Romans. Because it just it explains out what salvation, what grace in, in, in Christ is. He begins making the case from that point on that this is how God restores, this is how God mends, this is how God awakens a life. But without Him, you're exchanging the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in that of corruptible man. You're exchanging the truth of God for a lie. You're worshiping and serving the creature rather than the Creator. So Paul says this, For the one that wants foolish living to go to wise living, first you need to get your false worshiping to genuine worshiping. That you need to know that worship is something that every single person does. No matter if they are a believer in Jesus Christ or not, every person on this earth is created to worship. We're created to put worth in something. Worthship. Whether it's a job, whether it's time management, whether it's money, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a wholesome relationship or not a wholesome relationship, we're all created and wired to give something worth. And what holds worth in and over our lives is what we worship. Point blank. Worship Worship is a pursuit of anything that we believe will lead to happiness. If I just get that raise, if I just get that promotion, if I just get that vacation, if I just get that car, if I just get that house, if I just get that life, if I just get that... Um, that part of the, the, the city, if I get, just get to move here, if I just get to marry this person, if I just get to date this person, and anything that is false, anything that we worship that is not the Creator is a creation, and it's, it's never meant to be the thing that we're meant to worship. There's tons of examples throughout the Scripture People worshiping a creative thing. Even something that God told them to make. It's reading the book of Kings, uh, Second Kings, where there's a king named Hezekiah. And whenever he came to power, one of the things he did was he destroyed this bronze serpent. This bronze serpent that was made in the book of Numbers that God told them to make. God told them to make this item. And, and, and God's reasoning for it um, is that if you look on this item, whenever the bronze, whenever these, these fiery serpents were, were crawling over their camp, because the people had strayed away from God, and God was saying, hey, you need to turn your eyes to me. He said, if you'll look at this, this thing I've told you to make, you'll be healed the instant you look at it. Period. But in the, like, hundreds of years later, there was a king named Hezekiah, and these people began worshiping this pole. They called it Nefushtim. And because they were worshiping it, rather than the Creator who told them to make it, he had it smashed down and ground. He's like, no more. No more. It's false worshiping. You see, there's an effect of sin in our life. This is why this happens. Whenever God made man, when God made this world, as the book of Genesis declares, God put it in an order. Creator, man, his special creation, rest of creation. That's how he said it. God above all, 
Man, his special creation, the one that he personally took time to, to get down in the dirt, to get muddy and breathe life into. And then the rest of creation. But what sin did, whenever the, whatever fruit it was, some people believe it was an apple, you know, whatever your opinion is, I don't know what fruit it was. But whenever, it was, whenever that happened, what happened was man, Adam and Eve, chose to listen to creation rather than creator. So they turned it topsy-turvy. To now where creation has utmost authority in our life. We still believe we're a special creation, but God is down here beneath us. And what God is telling us is whenever it comes to our false worship, when it comes to our unauthentic worship, where we're trying to compartmentalize God, where we're saying all these other things are so much more important. I'm still here, but God, you're down here on the list. No matter how many times I write and I tell people with my lips, my, my heart says that you're not up here. That I'm not truly worshiping you. And Jesus' warning to the woman that tried to compartmentalize her worship, the woman at the well, she said, you know, you Jews say you should worship in Jerusalem. We say you need to worship over here at, uh, in Mount Gerizim. Which one is the right one? Because I think you're a prophet. I just want to know, where do I place my worship? And he says, look, there's going to be a time... When you will not say, go to this mountain or this mountain. Because the type of worshiper the Father seeks is the one that worships Him in spirit and in truth. The one who has it authentic. The one that says, God, it is all about you. No longer do I take creation and put it over here, but it goes way down here. And you're up here, and I'm listening to you. And I'm still in the middle here, because you've made me a special creation. You chose to connect with me. It's all by your grace that I have this position. It's nothing I earned of myself. But I'm sick and tired of putting all these other false items between me and you. And I want to worship you in spirit and truth. I want to worship you the way that you seek me to worship you. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship it in spirit and truth. So the question when it comes to the worshiper is this. When it comes to the person that wants to transform their life from being foolish to, to wise, is not how does Jesus fit into my life currently. It is instead... How do the things of my life really fit into Jesus? It's the question for you if you're trying to seek, and, and me, when we're trying to please God, is not how does Jesus categorically feel, fit into my little world, my little bubble, my little niche, so I can make Him less than He truly is, but how do I fully examine with God's given truth through the Word, with God's Spirit living in me, and say, how does my life really fit into Jesus? Is, is, is it complementary, or is there stuff I need to cut out? Or God's just got to get rid of. Because if I don't, one, I'll be that false worshiper. My worship will never be as authentic as the Bible says that I can be. And I'll always deal with that pain. I'll always deal with that brokenness. Until I get that perspective right. And that cycle of saying, my life seems foolish. I made foolish choices over and over again. I'm seeking wisdom. I'm seeking the knowledge. I'm seeking the application. I'm seeking the formula. It will never be there because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You don't need the other stuff. You just need to know Jesus. He needs to be your all. And then the things of life begin lining out under that. Seek first 
the kingdom of God. And these other things will be added unto you. It's not a, a prosperity gospel thing that he's preaching. He's saying, if your first priority, if your first love, if your first act of worship more than anything else is me, then these other things will begin falling in line. Without that, broad is the path. Broad is the path. And even though you're saved, your life can echo with that old character should you choose to forsake me. But know this. Know this. That even as a child of God, when we fail, falter, and believe me, I've done it as many times as you have, probably more. While we may have sinned and felt that distraction, felt that distance, felt like we were even separated, For the child of God, you have never been abandoned by God. And for the one that's a seeker, that's questioning the things of God, that's not sure if you fully know Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says while your sins may have separated you from God, you still have never been abandoned by God. There's a reason you're here listening to this today. And so what we're going to do at this time, as we think about Where do we go from here? And why this matters? The first thing we're going to think about is is this. Do I take the gospel for its full merit in my life? Do I really let that sink in and saturate to who I am? Does that change my worship? Or do I hear the word gospel and think, oh, not this again? Do I think, oh, that's for somebody else to hear? Oh, I can just pass over and put the snooze button right now and then in a few minutes it'll, it'll get past the, the Gospel. Or do we see it for its full effect in our life that, that we can never get enough of knowing how awesome this good news is, not only for the moment of salvation, but for every moment that follows and echoes into eternity. The fact that God did create you. And by His grace, He made you something special. I don't think... Anybody that the Bible says was knit together in his mother's womb by the hands of God, I don't take that lightly to say that you're not special. You are. And you're special in the way that God even saw us in our sins and and they separated us from Him. And yet, because God's grace is so huge, because God's love is is so amazing, and and that even though we didn't deserve it, He saw our sins, He saw the span, and there was no ladder that says, oh, if I just try enough, hard enough, put the right formula, I can get there. No, there, there was nothing there. But he says, I'm willing to come down. I'm willing to step down there because no matter how many commands I give you, no matter how many self-helps I give you, no matter how many encouraging words I give you, nothing's going to help you get there except me coming down and carrying you. And he was willing to do it. He paid the price that we could not pay even though we deserve to die the death He deserved. He got. And the Gospel is such good news because it it brings that invitation. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not just people in this country or this country, but everyone. Not just people this color or this color, but everyone. Not people this gender or this gender, but everyone. Not people just with this sin, but not that sin. Everyone who calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that life that is birthed out of that perpetuates something new, something incredible that we are never to take lightly. And the moment we do, we're distracted from our walk 
So today I want to ask you to do something. We've been doing this over the last few weeks. We're going to take time to, to make these steps a place of prayer as we close. And as we do, before we ask anybody if they, if they need to make a decision, if they need to talk to somebody, I'm going to ask you to pray. First, for yourself, for the church. I know that sounds like not something a biblical principle to pray. God, let me be right with you. Help. If, if there's something that I've got in my, my eye, let the plank be removed from my eye before I try to ever try to remove it from the, the speck from my brothers. But to ask God to, to watch over us and our worship, to help it really be about Him and not about our version of Him. Not to be even to be about us, but uh, who He really is, what He really says, what He really does, and what He really tells us to do. And then secondly, to help us in light of that, to live wise lives. To live with wisdom among our family, among our peers, among our neighbors, among our community and our city that so desperately needs to see the love of God. And so we're going to take time to pray for that. And then we're going to pray that God would open the eyes. Pray that God would open the eyes to the lost around us, the ones that need the remedy as much as we need it. So I'm going to ask you to and invite you at this time. If you want to come and join me make these steps of place of prayer, please do so. And, and, and if you can't do that and you just need to pray where you're at, please do so. But let's just take time just to try to respond to God in prayer. We could try to make it complicated and fancy and that kind of thing, but really it's not. It's just, it's just God, this is what your word says. Now what am I going to do about it? And I, I think we just need to talk to him. Lord Jesus, I can't pretend that there are people in this room that aren't hurting. I can't pretend that there are people in this room that, that aren't feeling the, the complications and the brokenness and the sickness and the pain and the death of sin in their lives. I, I, know, I know some of the things, but it doesn't make me any better. God, I can't pretend that I always get it right in my worship of You. I can't pretend I always get it right whenever I, I'm trying to explain who you are or, or to, to, to live in a way that honors you with every detail. I know that I am not perfect. But God, you are the incorruptible one. The creator that, that has all authority. You are the grace giver. Something we did not deserve. It's complete undeserved merit and favor. You are the God who brings life from death, healing from sickness, redemption from brokenness. And God, we could try to put together the right formulas, the right programs, the right songs, the right social agendas, the right things, and, and make everything feel all nice and cozy. But the truth is, without You, we are just... We're lost. We're broken. We're dead. And that's as much for the believer as it is for the unbeliever. While we, as your children, may know you and know that, yeah, we'll have a place saved for us in heaven, God, our life will not live and exist any way for it if we don't worship you as you say you are. So God, open our eyes. Open our eyes to see you as you have displayed yourself to be according to the Scripture. 
Have you made yourself known to be according to all that we see around us? As you have declared yourself to be through your Holy Spirit convicting us of the things that we need conviction of. Help us to see you, God. And God, then help us to follow. Help us to rid ourselves of the things that so easily entangle Help us to cast off the sins and the burdens that that may be there. Help us, God, to see the distractions, the decisions that we may have brought into our life directly or indirectly. And God, then help us to, to begin saying, God, how does my life fit into what you desire? Not the other way around, God, but how does our lives fit into what you desire? It's only then that we'll have genuine worship. It's only then that We'll truly seek Your will for everything that it is. And it's only then that we'll start seeing those foolish aspects of our lives become the God-honoring wisdom that you, the Bible says is there and available. God, at this time, be our remedy. Thank You for grace. Thank You for love. Thank You for redemption. Thank You for innumerable second chances. And now, God, let us walk in the newness of who You are. And God, as we leave this place, as we go into our homes today, as we go into uh, our workplaces this week, our, our schools, our neighborhoods, as we, as we shop in the city, as we travel on our vacation, as we fly to wherever it is we may fly, God, help us to live in such a way, to speak Your Word in such a way that the eyes of the blind the ears of the deaf are open. And that, God, You would call those from death to life. You would call those from broken to restoration. You would call those from pain to healing. Those that have not yet known You. Lord, we ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus because we know that it is absolutely possible with You. For You are able to do exceedingly more than all that we ask, all that we imagine. So God, make the impossible possible and begin with us. In Jesus' name, amen.